There's this nebulous, almost uh, oxymoronic phrase called gospel imperative. And you who have delved into Christianity for a long time said that is a weird phrase because gospel is just good news, right? God's giving me something, and it's all a gift. Imperative is do something, laws. We don't usually mix those two terms together. And yet, I think it's a good way to describe some segments of theology, some of what's in the Bible, a gospel imperative. And it answers the question, when God says to pray, is he giving me a privilege or is he giving me a command? And the answer is yes. It is a command and it is a privilege. And that's not me making this up. This is from Luke 11, also found in Matthew and Mark and examples in John where Jesus said, I will show you how to pray. It will be your privilege. And I tell you to do this. You need to do this. It's not sacramental where I'm coming to you as I do in communion or baptism. But for your own sake, you line up with my will by praying and talking about the things that I ask you to talk about and to be concerned with. So from Luke 11, Jesus giving to his disciples an example of what it means to pray and why to pray through a parable, and then also giving us what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. This is on page something or the other in your worship folder or on the screen, and then I guess you have a place to make notes. And that's where you would put all the questions for the real pastor when he gets home. We're not sure what he was saying. Can you answer this? <clears throat> one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. <coughs> Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All right. All my illustrations are from years ago because I haven't been a parish pastor for 13 years. So I don't get the joy and the privilege of interacting with people, and I, I just got to pull stuff out from the past to help them make this relevant. So I don't even know how many years ago this would be. 
I, I think that we had just gotten into the chapel, and that would have been 2001. We dedicated the, the church that I served at. We dedicated our chapel the Sunday after 9-11 happened. So what, what is that, 18? Not coming up on 19 years, something like that now? Yeah. So we're in that chapel, and we have Bible class there. We had service at 8 o'clock, service at 10.30. In between, we had adult Bible class. And it was typically 50, sometimes as much as 75, sometimes as few as 30 people in Bible class, depending on the topic. And uh, <clears throat> I would sometimes say we went in six to eight-week segments on, on a certain topic or book of the Bible. Then we'd have a Sunday off and maybe just do a one-time topic. Or sometimes we would do Ask Your Questions of Pastor Sundays. And when I had vicars, that, that was a terrible thing. I think I stopped doing it uh, eventually because it would drive the vicars nuts. But I would pass around this box, shoebox covered with pretty paper, and it had a slit in it. And anybody was allowed to put a piece of paper in with a question. You could ask anonymously. Because people always have questions in Bible class, right? But they won't ask them, especially Lutherans. We won't ask the questions that are on our minds. Hopefully somebody else does. So here's a non threatening way to ask your questions. And, and we would get a lot of questions, and the deal was, come back next week, and that'll be our Bible class. We're going to take as many as we can get done, 10, 12, 15. Your questions, here's the biblical answers. Worked pretty well. Worked pretty well. I went a step further. I put the box out there, and I said, on your way out, just put in there a slip of paper what you would like the next topic to be. I got two or three months worth planned here, but is there a topic, is there a book of Bible you really want to go through? Put it in there. And I put that out there for two or three weeks, and I thought, well, I'm getting no answers in there. I maybe get one in there, and then nothing the next week and stuff like that. So I finally asked him after about three weeks of begging. I said, you know, I put it out there. I'd like your input on what we're going to have for Bible class. <coughs> and you guys fill up this box on the weeks where I ask for your questions, but you won't give me the next topic that you want to do. Why is that? And Well, nobody wanted to say anything. But finally, Henry, faithful old Henry, raises his hand and says, Pastor, here's the problem. They got a box like that at work. And before I got into mid-level management, he was connected with construction company. He said, before we got into mid-level management, I would f put my suggestions in there. You guys remember old-fashioned suggestion box? Nowadays, I guess you would text them if the, if the company even wants your input, right? But back in the day, they did. They pretended like they want your input. So Henry said, I'd fill it out. So with some other coworkers, I'd put suggestions in there and uh, didn't think much about it, thought they were being listened to and implemented. Then I got into mid-level management, and I'm sitting in meetings. And I was around on a Friday afternoon where we always had a closing meeting for the week, and I saw somebody go over to the suggestion box and take all the little slips of paper in there and throw them directly into the wastebasket. And a lot of people in the audience are going, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Somewhere in between those two things it, 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 are you and me. The reality that, that we will beg God for things. We will put in those slips and say, I got questions. And yet our expectations are like the old-fashioned box. I don't know anybody's listening. I don't know if I'm going to even answer. And eventually, why would I even bother praying? Jesus kind of sets us straight on this issue. 
And I think a very succinct way of saying it, he tells us what to pray for, he tells us how to pray persistently, and he tells us, just like Abraham, you're the equal of Abraham, you go ahead and pray boldly. How's the topic come up in the first place? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think that Disciples were, were no better than some of the people that I've run into in, in my ministry, and this would include myself. <coughs> Again, old guy illustration, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I taught uh, what we would call back then a Bible information class. I think you have a course like that. It's talked about in your announcements. Foundations of Faith or something like that, or Faith Foundations. Am I saying that right? Okay, Faith Foundations. And that's basically an overview of, of the Bible, right? And you take that to find out what does this church teach, and if so, and if I agree with that, maybe I'll affiliate with this church. That's the purpose, right? Mine was called New Life in Christ. It was put together by a man who was eventually the president of our seminary, 19 lessons, and, he, and then I would add on a few other things at the, at the end of it. So 20, 21 lessons, something like that. Lesson 13 was the one on prayer. And I would usually take about two-thirds of the class to do some teaching from the Scripture on prayer, and then I would ask people to compose a prayer or two, and then we'd share it. And uh, you can tell how that went over. <laughs> and Well, my bad. In many cases, these are baby Christians or people who had never been taught to pray, and that put them too much on the spot in front of 10 or 12 other people to talk about my inmost thoughts. So I, I quit doing that. But... I also had the practice when I was a parish pastor of doing every member visits. When we were a little church, I could get around to everybody's house once a year, 45 minutes, how's it going, what do you need, what can I do for you, what have I done wrong? If nothing, just tell me how your life's going. Every member visits to stay in touch. We got bigger, people had to come to church, 45 minutes like clockwork, 10, 12 hours in a row, as long as the Mountain Dew would keep me going, do these interviews. And one year in the Every Member Visits, I had the noble goal of teaching everybody how to have a home devotion. How to have a devotion. Dinner, breakfast, wherever you're going to do it. Look at a piece of the Bible, talk about it, have a prayer. People were okay with that, and they enjoyed the, the structured things that we gave them, how to go in a logical way through the, all the doctrines of the Bible. Here's some Bible passages. They would read them, they would meditate on it, that prayer thing, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Not going to pray. At the most, if you provide the prayer, I'll maybe say that, but I'm not going to pray. And, and I, you know, offer your opinions as to why that is so. Why are we afraid to pray when we belong to church for so long? But regardless of your opinions and your practice and your habits, I think you can better understand now what's going on when the disciples come up to Jesus and say, we don't know how to pray. John the Baptist your distant relative, Jesus, he had disciples and he taught them how to pray. Would, would you do that for us? And you and I think of Peter, James, and John. These were the foundations of the church, but that's three years in the future. They aren't there yet. Here they sit, and what they have had is a lifelong journey. They're probably 28 to 30 years old like Jesus. They have been in synagogue. They went every Saturday. Uh, they received instruction at home. And yet they sense in John the Baptist and in Jesus that there's a different way to pray than what we've been taught. John did it for his disciples. Would you do that for us? Because here we sit in adulthood, middle life, according to life expectancy back then, and we don't know how to talk to God. 
And rather than chastise them, Jesus says, I, I will show you how to pray. And these are the familiar words in your worship folder, verses 2 to 4. When you pray, say these things. Father, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. <coughs> if you break down the Lord's Prayer as Luther did, how many requests do you have there? Remember how many petitions there are? Seven? How many of them have to do with physical things that we ask God for? One. That's always worth remembering, right? Jesus said, here's seven things to pray for. Six of them are spiritually oriented, invisible. Only one is physical. And he said, do this on a daily basis and be happy with what I give you. Wouldn't that help us in this culture? To just say, give us our day, daily bread, Lord, wouldn't, wouldn't that help? And that's a small thing. Let me move on to the other six factors now. So he was saying, here's your priorities, six to one, spiritual over the physical. And then, well, where would I get examples from, Jesus? It's been good that you taught us what to say, but where would there be further examples? And you know what the answer would be? You know what the prayer book for Old Testament people were, was? What would it be? Some of you probably know. The Psalms. Yeah, the Psalms. I'm sure he would have directed them to that because Jesus oftentimes quotes the Psalms, and they, and they knew the Psalms. And he said, look carefully. They're not just words. They are the prayers of God's people. The, the book of Psalms is oftentimes called the prayer book of the Bible. And I think that we can take that as a suggestion as we go away today and say, we are going to be better prayers and more consistent. What do I pray about? Read the Psalms. There's only 150 of them. Psalm 119, that's a long one. Plan on half a day if you're going to read that one, okay? But otherwise, 6, 8, 10, 12 verses, that, that's it. Written by people just like you and me. Don't be intimidated by the names. David wrote a chunk of them, maybe half. But boy, he was a dirtbag, right? And he had issues. Moses, God was minded to kill him because he wouldn't circumcise his own kids. His wife had to do it. One of the first examples of something that we see so prevalently nowadays, he ain't going to step up. I guess I'll have to be the spiritual force in the family, she said. He had issues. Solomon, wisest man ever, according to the Bible, he wrote some psalms. You think he had issues? False idol worship. A thousand women running around the house. I can't remember if it's 700 wives or 300 concubines, 300 wives, 700 concubines. But there's a thousand of them running around. They're all mine. Does he have issues? Yeah. Sons of Korah, Asaph, other names, other psalms that are anonymous. They had the same issues as what you and I have today. And when you read the Psalms, you find out they weren't praying, Lord, I need a better diet. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need my kids to be obedient. I need the dog to get in lined up. And above all, Lord, would you help my spouse think like me? Which is typical fodder for our prayers. Shame on us. Because when you read the Psalms, here's what they were talking about. Lord, there was... A beautiful world, Genesis 1 and 2. It's messed up. How do I deal with that? Lord, I would like to wreak havoc and vengeance in your name like Moses wanted to do and like so many others in the Bible said. 
and, and help me to be patient and let things to play out and that you will revenge where there, where there needs to be revenge. Lord, I'd like to fix every relationship, but the Psalms teach us fix this first, this relationship. And then other things tend to fall into place. And one that shows up consistently, and it was in Psalm 6 today, Lord, I am lonely. And if there's a word that describes our culture, in spite of 330 million people running around and all this connectivity, we are a desperately lonely culture, aren't we? Where do you learn how to pray about that? In the Psalms. That's what to pray for. More importantly are the adverbs that Jesus uses. Is that okay if I say adverbs in a mature audience like this? Not picking on you guys, but they don't teach adverbs and nouns and verbs much anymore. Do you guys learn adverbs? Yeah, okay, okay, good for you. The adverbs are important. To teach to pray consistently and to pray aggressively and to pray with these things in mind. Verses 5 and 8. Jesus gives a brief parable. It's a little story with one point. Prayer is, or the point is persistence. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, <coughs> even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The point is shameless audacity. Prayer. Because you knew where the source of what you needed was and you went to them persistently. Last old story. 1983. I'm new to Denver, was told to start a church, had no idea what that meant. Here's where you live. They picked out an apartment for me. Little did they know that we would be the only married couple in that entire apartment complex. It was the hottest single scene. It was the hottest pot smoking thing. And in 83, it was illegal yet in all of North Denver. That's all that lived in this place where I lived with my wife as the new pastor of a new church. Pot smoking stoners. That's who I hung out with at the swimming pool. That's who my daily conversations were with, daily basis. And pretty quickly they figured out my wife is a soft touch. What do stoners need at 1 or 1.30 or 2 in the morning? Brownies. brownies. She's not going to bake them brownies, but the big thing was popcorn. Who's got popcorn? Who's got oil for making popcorn? Because the microwave stuff still caused fires back then, right? <laughs> Who's got oil? Who would have popcorn? And so they'd come and they would knock on the door and ask for Lynn. Could care less about me or the cat. Lynn, we need popcorn. We need oil. One time Lynn's not at home and they knock and they knock persistently and I answer and there sits a dude. And I mean a dude, just like in the big Lebowski movie. The dude. In his robe, dropping dollar bills. I need butter. Don't need popcorn, don't need oil. I need butter for my popcorn, 1.30 in the morning. And I gave him butter. Why? Because in that godless hellhole of an apartment complex, we were the closest thing to prayer being answered and Christian friendship that those people were ever going to have in the short term. And... He would go away. 
He was persistent. And Jesus is effectively saying the same thing. One of the things about this uh, little parable that is sometimes overlooked and which I was reminded of, we tend to think of here's a guy and his wife and they made some bread and it's in their house and then the neighbor comes and, and knocks on the door. And uh, those who study such things, both villages in the Middle East today and villages in the ancient world, remind us that the bread was oftentimes baked at one person's house per week. You ever heard this before? Little village, you didn't always bake it in your house, you didn't always go to the same place. Well, one person primarily hosted the bread-making party, is basically the way to put it, in the little village. So it might be over at Zedekiah's house one week and Martha's house the next week, but that's where the bread was. That's where he made it, you take a little bit home and then what's left over for the week, that's stored there. And, and that helps us understand the, the parable a little bit better. Why could you go to somebody's house and beat on the door persistently, and I need three loaves? Why not go to the store like we would nowadays, right? Well, there weren't any stores. You went to the place, even if they're in bed, and you were persistent about it because they were the only people who had some bread. And that's Jesus' point, <coughs> to be persistent. And so I go back to the things that we ought to pray about. Lord, it is a messed up world, and I'm part of the problem. And I pray persistently that you would give me your perspective on what's going on. Not the perspective of CNN or Fox News, but, but give me your perspective. And, and how do I filter this stuff? Lord, it's an unforgiving world, and I live in the midst of it, and I interact with people every day who are unforgiving. So do you. Can you teach me? I beg you, can you teach me to forgive as you have forgiven me? If I can't go any further initially, can you just teach me how to forgive my wife and husband again and the kids and those little joyful things called grandkids? Boy, they need forgiveness. Can you teach me how to do that? And Lord, I am desperately lonely. I'm so wired into so many people and I got so many connections, but my goodness, I haven't had a good conversation in so long. And I don't know who I'd even call a friend anymore. I am lonely. I beg you, Lord, would you, would you give me somebody that I could share my faith with and my sorrows with and, and they could just give me a word of peace? Persistently. And then as maybe a little afterthought, kind of what it is in the Lord's Prayer. Persistently, Lord, can you teach me to be content with what you use to keep me alive and keep me sheltered on a daily basis and quit freaking about what am I going to do when I'm 85? What am I going to do tomorrow? What about this company that may relocate and I'm without a job? Can you just teach me day by day to be thankful for what you put in front of me? So what to pray for, how to pray persistently, and then finally I think what he's saying, especially in verse 13, is to pray with confidence. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of your fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And rather than remember the egg and the scorpion and the whole snake thing, remember verse 13. That's the key. It's at the end. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Pray boldly. Martin Luther was brilliant. Don't just believe that because some Lutheran pastor is telling you that. Godless, atheistic, secular humanists who study sociology and education and even things such as economy look at Martin Luther and say the world changed when that dude was on the planet. That's how big of an influence he was. And yet he could take these profound things having to do with education and social relationships and government and make them ever so simple. And when it gets around to prayer, you know what Luther said? Don't think too much. You ever watch a four-year-old go up to his dad and say, I need something? That's how you pray. If it seems like dad's not listening, you grab the trousers and yank on it. That was Luther's advice. Pray like the four-year-old child. Based on what? If you then, though, know, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You are in a relationship with God as surely as a four-year-old, the child of your own loins, is in relationship with you. And so your creator God says, I put you on the planet in the first place. I designed you. Ask me to take care of you. You messed it up. Without exception, you messed it up, this beautiful relationship we had. So the second person the Trinity takes on flesh and blood and atones for your shortfalls and your arrogance, that you could do this on your own. And on top of it says, by the way, I give you heaven out of grace. And if you have doubts about that, third person of the Trinity is always there. Profound thing that we overlook far too often. He lives within you, the Holy Spirit does. He is your counselor and will help you to remember how to pray. Remember that beautiful verse from Romans when you don't even know how, what to pray? You're so emotionally messed up, you can't even get the words out. What does God promise? I'll pray for you. The Holy Spirit will pray for you doesn't mean, I hope you get through it. It means, literally, he will utter the words that you can't get out of your mouth. That's why you can pray confidently. The Lord does not teach us eloquence. The prayers in the Bible are not eloquent. They're simple language. The psalm is very, very simple language. He does not teach us to pray at length. It's not the length of the prayer that matters. And nor does he teach us repetition. Just say it over and over and over, which becomes sometimes the problem with the Lord's Prayer. We say it so often, we're not even thinking about what we're saying. Repetition doesn't matter. Jesus himself said so. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. You pray because you know what to pray for. You pray persistently, and you pray confidently. C.S. Lewis said it this way, prayer is nothing more than aligning yourself with God's will. Prayer is nothing more than aligning yourself with God's will. The book tells you who he is, how you got here, where you're headed, and why you're headed there. When we pray, we are simply saying, Lord, I boldly trust as you took care of me for eternity, you will take care of me temporarily. Please help me make it through another day.